Regarding next uh, Wednesday night, God willing, I'll be preaching to you on the judgment seat of Christ. John in the Revelation said when we get to heaven that the Lord shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. And I have often been asked the question, I've asked it myself, I didn't think that there would be any tears in heaven. It is a place of no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. But I have searched uh, different scholars and regarding it, and there's two answers given. And that's the only two that I can find. And the first one is when we get to heaven and look for our loved ones that are not there, we'll be inconsolable. When we look for our mother, look for a brother, look for a son or daughter, they're not there. It'll take the Lord to wipe the tears away for no one else would be able to do it. It doesn't bear thinking about. All eternity lost. The second one is they say that when we stand at the judgment seat and we're asked by the Lord to give an account for it is an accountability day to give an account for our service from the moment we got saved until we arrived there and remember we could be there before night. You just look around the world now and see the Lord's on his way back. And we could be at the judgment seat before night and there are five crowns Some of us mightn't get any of them. And when we see the crowns being given out, and when we realize what we should have done and the gifts that God gave us to do and the things that he expected us to do and we didn't do them, there'll be tears. There'll be tears. And so what I'm doing on Wednesday night and the following Wednesday night this Wednesday night we'll be dealing with the crowd for we must all stand and then the next one we'll be dealing with the crowns the crowns the preparatory meetings these next two for eternity I'm preparing you for eternity. When you turn the corner around there and you see that great sign that's been there now for 30 years, over 30 years, prepare to meet thy God, that wasn't spoken to the unsaved. That was spoken to Amos, to a rebellious, backslidden people. Prepare to meet thy God. We need to prepare to meet him. So come along and bring your Bible with you on Wednesday night and get serious about the fact that there's going to be not only an evacuation 
but an examination. And it's all going to happen very soon. Turning with me, please, to Psalm 73 again this morning. And I have news for you, whether you like it or not, we'll have to be back here next Lord's Day morning again, for I can't get away from this great chapter. Just open your Bible, please, at Psalm 73. The godly Asaph, priest, preacher, psalmist, chief singer in the temple, man of God, he, like most of us, had problems. Verse 1 He starts off the psalm and ends the psalm with talking about the goodness of God. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, as for me, maybe some of you could say that this morning, that's all right, but as for me, this is where I am, as for me, my feet were almost gone. But they weren't gone altogether. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's a man of God now talking. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They didn't seem to have any fear of death. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Their pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covered them as garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. You wouldn't have to look far this morning to see these boys. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore as people return hither and their waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. In other words, their cup of iniquity is full. And they say, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, increase in riches. And here's me, verily me, I've clean, cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. I'm living for the Lord and working for the Lord. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places and cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terror? As a dream when one wakes, awakens, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant I was as a beast before thee. What an awesome, honest confession. I know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Keep your Bible open, we pray thee. One of the most dangerous, the most ominous, the most destructive, the most deceptive sins of the spirit of man is 
envy and jealousy. Unlike the sins of the flesh that's manifested and you can see them, hidden deep and veiled down in the heart of man is envy and envy and jealousy and pride that nobody can see. Envy is as cruel as the grave. It's the rottenness of the bones. Solomon asked the question regarding it, Wrath is cruel, anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand against envy? It's a cruel predator. It knows no bounds, it knows no barriers, and it knows no mercies. Envy and jealousy have split more churches, broken more marriages, separated more friends, Divided more families, filled more graves, started more wars than any other sin that you could think of. It even crucified our Lord Lord and Savior, for with envy they delivered him up to be crucified. No one indeed in their own strength, with their own ability, with their own power, can stand against the predator and the wolf that comes in sheep's clothing. The words of enemy are uh, the envy. Envy is as the mouse in the mouth smoother than butter. But war is in the heart. A study of the scriptures will reveal to you the damage that envy and jealousy can do and the havoc it can wreck. It split the brethren in Jacob's family for generations. Because of the envy of the brethren, the sold Joseph down into Egypt, and only for Reuben they would have killed him. I tell you, it's cruel when it gets in amongst the brethren. It's cruel when it gets in amongst the brothers in the home or the brethren in the church. It's cruel. The bitterness of brethren, and some of us have experiences of this church. It's cruel, it's envy, it's cruel, even amongst the people of God. But it not only split the brethren in Jacob's family, it split the sisters. When Rachel saw that the womb of Lee was producing and she was producing not, it says with envy. With envy she flung herself at the feet of Jacob and said, Give me children or I'll die. Can I say a wee word to the sisters this morning? Can I say a wee word to the mothers this morning, both young and old? Don't let envy manifest itself amongst the children, other children, your children. Don't whisper and talk in the car park or at the back of the meeting about somebody else's child. Do you hear me now? You just let them alone. Don't you be criticizing another mother with a wee family and her wee children. 
Well, that's the, that's envy. That comes up in the heart. Make a covenant with God, ye mothers, that you will not and never speak against other mothers or other children in the church. For mind you, the tongue is a little member and can set and just set the world in fire. Watch envy in the family. Watch envy in the fellowship. Watch envy in the fashion. Don't be concerned about her handbag or her shoes or her dress. Don't be concerned what others wear or what others have on them and don't be talking about them. And if the Lord's driving something into your heart this morning, may it go with two edges into it. None of these things were the problem with this man. It wasn't the family, it wasn't fellowship, it wasn't fashion, it wasn't a thousand other things. But I'll tell you what was the problem with him, it was finances. This godly man, look at what it says in verse 3, for I was envious. I was envious and jealous at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, we don't know what happened to this man, but his feet were well slipping. He had slipped out. He was out of fellowship. Maybe it was some prolonged sickness. Mind you, when you're shut up with someone new in this meeting this morning, when you're shut up and you're out of the fellowship and you're out of people, I can tell you many thoughts can come into your mind. I don't know why this chief singer This man that David and Hezekiah both employed as the chief singer in the time, a godly Asaph. He wrote 12 Psalms. I don't know whether it was a prolonged sickness. I don't know whether it was some misunderstanding. I don't know whether it was a family matter. But whatever it was, it drove him out till he was nearly down. He says that himself. He's an honest man. He was nearly down. He looks out and he sees the ungodly. He sees them and hears them swearing and cursing and blaspheming against heaven. He sees in our terms today, he saw their cars and their vans and their, and their mansions and their houses and their cruises and their holidays. He saw it all. He says, as for me, there's no sign of sickness amongst their children. When they come to death, there seem to be no fear. But as for me, my feet, My feet were almost gone. I am plagued and chastened every day and every morning. I have cleansed my hand with innocence. I'm as holy as I can be. I pay my taxes. I go into the assembly. I preach. I pray. I sing. I do what God has called me to do. But look at me. Honesty this morning is a great thing. Look at me. Look at them. Doesn't pay to be a Christian. Doesn't profit to serve God. Some of you have your eyes on the world this morning. And I'll tell you, if you don't get them off the world and get them off these things here, you'll tell you, you'll slip and you'll go down. Beware of the black ice. Beware of the black ice. 
It's a slippery place. And listen, if you're there this morning, if you're slipping this morning, and you have slipped this morning, listen, there's, there's time to get back. He put out his hand, we, we see next week, he put out his, the right hand of his power, and he caught him. The Lord will catch you this morning if you cry out to him. You're not the first to feel like that. This man wasn't the first to feel like that. Old Jacob could say all things are against me. Elijah could lie under the juniper tree and try to die. Job, Gideon, Demas. I tell you, Demas, his feet were well gone. They went all together and he went back. So we have plenty of scripture to back up how this man feels. Watch the slippery places. Don't stay on the slippery places. You young men, get off the slippery places. If you're fiddling with pornography, that's a slippery place. You'll come that you'll not be able to get off it. Jump, man, jump! On to solid ground. Jump! On to solid ground. The psalmist says, I trusted in the Lord, therefore I will not slide. If you're in your daily readings and you're in your praying and you're in the assembly and you're in the meetings, I tell you this, it'll keep you from sliding. He said again, the psalmist, the word is in my heart and none of my steps slide. And this man says, until I went into the sanctuary, into the sanctuary, into the house of God, the place of prayer, the place of the word, the place of teaching, the place of preaching. Keep in the house of God. Come back to the prayer meetings. Some of you have gone from the prayer meetings. Oh, there was a big grandma in the Taj whenever the bar things was on and the place was being closed up. Why, the place was full. Where are you now? Get back into the prayer meetings. Get back into the place of fellowship in with God's people and stay there. Get back in. Don't be running the country on a, on a Sunday night. Get back into the house of God with the people of God. Or you'll slip and slide all over the place and you'll be good for nothing. You'll end up at the judgment seat. Some of you are just waiting on the warm weather to come on Easter to come. Do you get away? God help you. That's all, the, all you have for the house of God. Uh, the gloves are off this morning, as you know by now. Until I went into the sanctuary and understood. I understood what I went in, and I'll show you in a minute what he understood. But you know, there's no use in saying to this man, listen, Asaph, say we pray and all will be well. It'll not be well. There's no use in saying to Asaph, you know, uh, get a wee daily reading and, and read your Bible and, 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 and look to the Lord and everything. Let me tell you, he's looking to the Lord. Let me tell you, he is praying. Let me tell you that he's with the Lord. He says that I'm with the Lord. He's with the Lord. He is praying. He's looking for the Lord. He's looking at the Lord and he's calling to the Lord and he's having his d daily prayer and he's looking to the Lord, but it hasn't gone away. You see, our counsel is so foolish at times. I tell you, if you get somebody in a place like this and he's depressed and he's down, there's no use in telling, look to the Lord. Right. You don't know what you're talking about if you talk like that. There's no use in saying to this man, listen, have you, we prayer to him and everything we were looking on to Jesus, we pray, look on to He's been doing that and it's not a way. 
He needs something more than that. He needs answers, this man. And I'll show you how he gets them in a minute or two. He says, I am continually with thee. I'm praying and I'm looking to the Lord, but the problem's still there. I've been speaking to a man not so long and he told me I'm praying and I'm calling unto God and, and I'm going to meetings and I'm doing everything he can, but it's not going away. Is that for you this morning? This is reality this morning. It's not going away. The thoughts and the doubts and the fears and the attack of the enemy can be fierce. It was all right to go into the sanctuary. Yes, it was. It's all right and it's good. And in the sanctuary means into the place of prayer. And if you keep in the place of prayer, my friend, that'll, be, that'll help you from sliding. And to keep into the word, into the preaching of the word, and hearing the word. This all went into the sanctuary. And the worship, and it's all needed. This is all part of the sanctuary. This separates us. This house of God separates us from the world out there. It separates us from these men that he's talking about. This is the house of God. This is the sanctuary of God. And it should be called the sanctuary of God or the house of God. This is God's trysting place. This is where you're here this morning. You're separated from the world out there. You, call, you want fellowship with the Lord. You want to hear from the Lord. You want to hear reality and truth in these days. And so he come in for all those things. Every one of those things. Well, do you listen very carefully to what I'm going to say this morning? There's one thing I believe that changed and transformed this man in the sanctuary. Oh, yes, the word is good, and, and the preaching's good, and the fellowship's good, and the singing's good, and it's all good. But there's one thing that grieved and pricked his heart and made him cry out in pain and sorrow. I'm a fool. I'm ignorant. I'm like a beast. What do you think it was? I tell you what I believe it was when he dwelt upon the sacrifices in the house of God. Now hold on this morning. This is where the lamb was offered up. This is where the blood was shed. This is where the incense was smelled. This is where the atonement and redemption and justification and substitution when the wee lamb, the wee lamb was slain and shorn and offered up as a sacrifice. I believe that Asaph saw the cross. Saw the cross. My friend, when we see the cross in all its clarity, in all its brutality, in all its wickedness, when we see the cross, we see Jesus. And he gazes upon the cross and he gazes upon the blood and he gazes upon the lamb and he thinks of those men and these people. These are the very people that slew the Savior. Do you hear now? Why would I want to be like them? Why would I want to be in the beggarly elements of the world again? Why would I want anything to do with men who curse and blaspheme God to his face? 
Why would I have anything to do with an ungodly world out there that crucified my Savior on the cross at Calvary, spat on him and crowned him with thorns? He got a Jew of cross. And I will go as far to say this morning, most of us would need a view of the cross. Most of us, this is where Paul got when he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. My friend, if you got a real fresh view of the cross, take up your cross, he says, and follow me. A corn of wheat will die, a corn, if any man... If a corn of wheat, if any man uh, love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, except a corn of wheat falleth into the ground and die, it abideth alone. When we start to meditate on Calvary and all it cost him and all the thing, and yet he never opened his mouth against these people. Oh God, how good and how gracious and how loving you are that they can curse you and blaspheme you and say, what do you know? You know nothing, and yet you love them. You love them with an everlasting love. Oh God, how foolish. I'm a beast. I'm a beast to think that they have everything and we have nothing. I'm a beast, Lord. Oh, what a despite it done to Calvary. I'm a beast. That's why we love to remember the Lord here in the mornings. I tell you, we love it. We love it. Oh, Calvary, Calvary, bless Calvary this morning. My friend, and we start to see him on that cross and the thorns upon him and him stripped naked and all our blaspheming and all our sins and all our wickedness and all our cursing and all the rest of it. My friend, when we see him, it should break us and smash us and say, I'm no better than a beast, I'm a fool. A beast that has no sense of eternity, a beast that lives from its meals from day to day. Then understood I the end. Oh, I did. And when you come to Calvary and come to the cross and see Jesus and all his suffering and all his pain and all his sorrow, you see what I want with the world. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Bless his lovely name this morning. I want to tell you people that are thinking like that and you young people this morning, I don't want the world again. I don't envy any man with his cars or with his vans or with his houses or with his yachts or anything else. If he's not saved, he's going to hell. He's on the slippery slope. That's what he said. I saw him, he there on the slippery slope, not me. And at the end of the 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 chapter, he'll say, they'll perish. Let us get our thinking right this morning. Let us get our priorities right this morning. Let us behold Calvary. We're supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to take up your cross and follow me. And if we have the cross up and we're following Jesus, we'll be dead to every man and everything else around us. We'll be dead to money and dead to farms and dead to people and dead what to say. A.W. Tosa says, when you saw a man carrying a cross, there was one sure thing, and there was this. There was no coming back. He was going to die. He was going to die. Oh, he saw the sacrifices all right, this man. 
Now I want to finish with two statements. And this is the crux of my message. And it's going to be short. Two statements jumped out of this psalm to me. One was made by the ungodly and grateful and unwicked and wicked men. In spite of all their blessings and all their good, and you know when that boy swings the golf club, swing the golf club, he only can swing it with the grace of God to give him the strength to do it. Look at the statement that they made in verse 11. And they say, these are the ungodly now, these are the, and they say, how does God know? In other words, what does God know about me? What knowledge is he? How does he know anything? What can he do? That's exactly what they're saying. What an insult. What a slap in the face to the Lord Jesus this statement is. The one whose hand, whose breath, the hand is on. Let me say this this morning. You can nearly expect this from the ungodly. Does God know? Where's God? What? They're not atheists, these boys, you know. Believe in God. What does he know? What can he do? What can he do for the situation in Ukraine? What can he do? He does nothing. Where is it? Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we'll die. Aye. Now that's what they're saying. It's bad enough when it comes from the ungodly. But it comes from the godly. It's a thousand times worse. And you'll say to me, here he's on again now. I don't care what you say. I just have to be honest when I get down before God and he shows me these verses. Most of the church leaders during the epidemic of the COVID cast the very same thing in the teeth of God. He hasn't the knowledge he hasn't the wisdom or the power or the authority or the capability to deliver us. We need the scientists. We need the professors. God can't deliver. We need the masks. We need the masks and the marks and the medicine. We can't trust the Lord. Don't trust the Lord. I was hearing about a meeting a man texted me about a meeting that was going on not so long ago, up way up, well, let's say where it was, and the, the boy was preaching on the, on the Lord's coming, and he was preaching on the subject of deception, and behind it, he was in front of a big, big perspective, and he had a mask on him, and everybody in the place had mask on him, and he's talking about deception. And I had to plead guilty that I closed an eye 
And these men of ours have all agreed with me that we closed down the very first time. We should never have closed the first time. And I had to repent of that. Can you not trust me, the Lord said? Yes, we'll trust thee, and we did. What does he know? We have to go to the scientists. We have to go to the, to the epidemiologists. We have to go to the big boys. They'll tell us what to do. Here's what we'll do. Shut the whole thing up. Close the sanctuary up. And if you close the sanctuary up and shut the sanctuary up, how can you understand? Stop the children's meeting and stop the prayer meeting and stop the table and stop it. How can you get into the sanctuary then to understand? And hear the word. I'm glad we kept our prayer meetings going. God showed me this from this verse. And if the cap fits where it, oh, how sad that we relegated God into the corner and closed him out and closed the doors and went for the big boys. And now people are beginning to see, oh, oh, how foolish we were. And they'll not admit it, of course. They're not as honest as this man. Now, the second statement is this. It's made by Asaph in verse 15. See, I was going to finish this psalm this week, but I couldn't get past these. See verse 15. This is a very important verse, I believe, for some of you in the meeting this morning. If I say, now let me just say, this man was battling out this with God. He was battling it out with God. He was battling out in the classes or some other place. The Holy Spirit took the psalm and gave it to our knowledge. But he says here, if in verse, if I say, and I speak what I'm believing, I'll offend. I'll offend against the generation of thy children. And when the generation's in there talking about children and the generation of people, he says, if I spew out, if I spew out how I feel, you hear me now? If I put all this thing that I, I have come to God with and God and me has battled it out with, if I put that out in the public domain, it's going to offend people. Let that sink in a wee minute. This man didn't go round, nor would he done ventilating or broadcasting his dilemma and his state. To others, he says, if I should speak, I would offend people by telling them how I feel. You know, people say to me, oh, I just, I, I just, uh, I just uh, spew out my, what's on my mind. I speak my mind. Well, then speak your mind. Tell me what you were thinking when you come into this meeting this morning. I just speak my mind. Tell me what you were thinking last night. Don't be talking like that. There's a thousand things go on in our mind that is not for the public. And it's not for anybody. If there's a battle going on between you and God, wrestle it out with God. Tell him. 
Tell him. It's as if he put his hand over his mouth. If I would, I'll not say it, I can't say it. I can't say how I feel. What are these ungodly men out there knew that? What are these big men all round the grains here? All these big money men all round the grains say, if they heard me saying this, there's a boy there down at the lightwood and he's saying, you come over to us. He wants to come over to us. He's not happy down there. He's not godly down there. God's doing nothing for him. This man's after my car. He's after my land. He's after my farm. He's only playing games. He's a hypocrite. Johnson's a hypocrite. And boys, if they knew that, they'd fairly blow the horn at me going past. Oh, look at what we have and you have nothing. Look at what we have and you're looking for something. You're looking for more. Sort of a God's at you, sir. That would be bad enough. You be very, very careful what you say in the assembly, outside the assembly, in the car park, in your home, at the table, at your dinner time. Because you could offend some of those young ones. You could offend somebody by statements like that. Boy, I'll tell you this. I'd want a bigger car and I want a bigger house and a Ah, sure, God's no good. Sure, there's no use in serving the Lord. You let that seed sow into your children. Now you just be quiet and sit still for more damage has been done by Christian parents criticizing and scandalizing in front of their children. Don't you be talking in front of your children about the pastor. Don't you be talking in front of your children about that man or that church or anybody else and you're guilty of it, some of you. And I'm guilty of it. And as we seeds have been sown into the hearts of the young people and we're offending them and Jesus says, if you offend one of these young people, it would be better, children, that your millstone was tied around your neck and you were cast into the depth of the sea and that's not just abortion. Or child abuse. Don't you be guilty of offending your child. Don't you be offend, guilty of turning them away from the Lord by your critical tongue about saying things about others or saying things that are not conducive to God. I'm rubbing it in this morning. Because I believe that it's holding back the blessing. Old wagon critical tongues turning around in the pew and talking outside. And talking about the pastors and talking about the elders and talking about the way the church is run, it's none of your business. If you have anything to say this morning, if you have anything grieving your soul this morning, you come to the elders of this church. Don't be going to anybody else. Don't be going to the deacons. Don't be going to the members. Don't be going to anybody else. Come straight to the elders of the church. And if you have a complaint, tell it to us. If I say, he says, he was about to blast around him, this man. But he says, if I say, he considered. 
They used to tell us in the witness box long ago when we were in more the trials and things like that. They used to tell us now. Bar- barrister for the Crown used to tell now when you ask when, when when you're asked a question, count to three. When you're asked a question, count to ten. If I would say, is there any need to say it? Will it offend somebody? Will it hurt somebody? Will it damage somebody? Will it hinder an unsaved man from coming? Is there an unsaved person listening to you? What do they want to do anything with a church like that? They have trouble enough of their own without joining this. No, what we need, what we need, my friend, what we need is the cross. What we need is repentance. What we need is brokenness. What we need is to see Christ crucified and risen again. We need to die to these things. Oh, imagine if they heard what Asaph was thinking. It will be manna to their souls, telling us that we need what they have. The truth is they want what we have. As I close, listen. Listen to what I'm going to say. God, the Lord, rebuked many men at many times for things that they said. And many times the Lord has rebuked me for things that I have said in this pulpit, in my home, and in conversations to get a laugh. And it wasn't until I'd said it that I realized In fact, it was an ungodly policeman said to me years ago, years ago, standing in the guardroom in the Lurgan police station, said to me, Bertie, that's ill becoming for you to say that. Now I'm giving you time this morning to repent. I'm giving you time this morning and if you have to go to your brother or you have to go to your sister, you have to go to your mother, go and clear the blockage. And if you're criticizing about these meetings, there's a boy on the internet, I'll not tell you what he said, but I just sent the word back to him, God bless you, sir. Not entered into any conversation with you. About these things, unless it's genuine and honest and you want an honest answer. God bless you, sir. And there's time to repent. You see, we're all guilty of it, and Peter was guilty of it. Boy, no, it has uh, spoke out of turn like Peter. 
Even John, the beloved apostle that lay on the Saviour's bosom, even John, he said, call down fire from heaven like Elijah and burn up these Spartans. Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you have. That was John, the beloved. David. Remember David? Here's what David said. In haste I said, all men are liars. All men are not liars. And David had to repent of that. In haste. We can say things in the pulpit. In haste. My wife tells me that. And thank God for... James says, be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. See here Spurgeon says, don't let the greyhound loose. Every believer should have absolutes. You know what I mean by absolutes? There should be where you draw a line. If it's going to harm the pastor or his wife, don't say it. If it's going to offend the children, don't say it. If it's going to cause division, don't say it in the church. If it hinders a soul from coming to the Lord, don't say it. If it's going to quench or grieve or hinder or vex the Holy Spirit, don't say it. Count to ten. Shut your mouth. And go on. Say, Lord, I'm glad I didn't say that. Listen to the Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And fall at the feet of the cross. And look at him who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again the blessed, lovely Savior. As a lamb before his years is done, he opened not his mouth. May God help us this morning as we come back in next week to see the ending to the psalm. May God have his way in our lives this morning. Amen.